Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by uh, Tiago, who is from BRZ Insurance. Um, Tiago, my friend, how are you? I'm great. Um, I'm actually, it's the other way around. I think, you know, I'm very fortunate to be here with you today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to, I'm such a big fan of yours. And we we, we had a bit of a love off over ITI. And um, I I think it's good good to start, actually. I like, we I, we didn't know each other, did we, at ITI? And, and uh, yeah, I've got to give a shout out to ITI because they, they used the Brella app and it was really good. And, and it was kind of the 15 minute slot mean, meant that it didn't matter, really. You'd go meet people that you didn't know. And it kind of, uh, but, you know, there was a lot of meetings I had that period. I think I had about 30 meetings at um, ITI in New York. And um, some you couldn't wait to finish quick enough. But ours was one that I was like, this is a bigger conversation we've got to have, hence, hence the podcast. So um, I'm, I'm really pleased we can get this done. Um, but before I go barreling in, I think to give some context, um, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and obviously um, the, the BRZ business as well. Sure. Um, I can totally relate to what you said about the conference. It was very enlightening and I'm glad that I bumped into you and you know, we had the opportunity to shoot you know, the short video and, and you know, that I'm here today. But answering mm-hmm. your question, so uh, BRZ Insurance does not stand for Brazil, even though it sounds like it's the abbreviation is best rate zone. And we're an insurance technology company that happens to actually sell insurance. So what do you mean by that? We're a servicing company that uses technology to sell insurance to Hispanics in the US. Mm-hmm. You must be asking yourself that question. Are enough of you to do that? Yes. Just 62 million of us and growing. And my joke is usually if you're listening to this and you have someone sitting on your left, on your right, if you don't have a Latino in your family, over the next 10 years, the probability that you will, it's 50%. <laughs> and growing. Um, so that's our business model. Um, we're not uh, an MGA. We could eventually have our own product as well. That's if it works, it's, it's on the burner. But our mission is to create the happiest environment to our team, to our consumers, 
and to our carriers through technology and our dedicated servicing centers abroad. So we do have servicing centers in Puerto Rico as well as Brazil to service mm -hmm. our clients in the US who are Portuguese and Spanish speakers. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. We're just, you know, a happy company. Okay. That happens so, to sell insurance. Yeah. So 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 I understand you correctly operating currently as a broking facility. Is that is that the most appropriate way to put it? That is correct. We're going to get into this lady, you know, the silver bullet that everyone is looking for. <laughs> sure, sure. I suppose what, what was really important for me to hear at ITI, I mean, the number itself is staggering. So you're talking about kind of Latinx community, uh, people who identify in that group is 62 million. So it's something like 18% of the population of the US. Um, 18, 18. 18% of the US. Um, yeah. It, and it's quite, I suppose it's quite staggering sitting here as a Brit because I'm sitting here as a Britain and I think, I think what we sort of late 70s, 78 million or something of us and people target that market, um, you know, mainly as an access point for other markets. I understand that, but you could take that view of, of, of that Latinx community in the US, right? But I think what I didn't understand and I think it'd be great to hear you explain is like, why is it important or why are they? Why would you consider the Latinx community underserved as a community when it comes to insurance? I just Google Britain GDP to answer your question and mm. came up two point seven eight trillion dollars. That is exactly the equivalent of the Latinx buying power in the U.S. today. Wow. We are a country within a country, mm -hmm. and you're of you know, as an European, you know that if you take a train. In a few hours, you're going to be in France. You could be, you know, in Germany by flying for a few hours. And because of the United Nations in Europe, you do have to speak English, French, and German. So this is me right now saying in the Americas, over the next 50 years, we will be required to speak English, Spanish, and Portuguese. There is no way around it. And I love music. Are you a big fan of music? Huge fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great example of someone who internationalized her career from Brazil into the U.S., Anita, right? Anita is huge globally today in Portuguese, Spanish, and English. And then we look the other way around, Jennifer Lopez, right? Shakira, you name it. So that's why I speak so confidently that this market's not shrinking. It's grown. It's grown fast. Mm -hmm. Is there something as well about the current insurance market landscape that doesn't serve the Latinx community? Because I suppose that was where that was the thing that hit me with such kind of um, clarity when we were first talking was that it, it doesn't serve them. And I didn't quite understand what you meant until you explained it, just like the visibility and, and, the, and the kind of native language of all the policies. And, and, and is that, is that kind of that, why is that important? I suppose, I suppose that's, it might be obvious, but I think it's really important the way yeah. you sort of spelled it out to me. I always like to explain things to my grandmother, right? I think if she gets it, then, you know, then it's actually comprehensible mm -hmm. <laughs> so to, to your to your question, right? Um, how is the insurance industry performing around, right? This opportunity. Well, it's a pale, stale male industry. I come from the asset management space. I worked mm -hmm. at the endowment at MIT. That's how I got exposed to insurance. 
I had the luxury of going to uh, the Berkshire Halfway in your shareholder meeting um, event. And in that event, there is from Graham to Buffett and beyond. It's a black tie dinner hosted by the Columbia Valley School. And sitting in that dinner, the insurance bug bit me. That's when I realized like, holy cow, I got to get into this. So I came back and I started thinking and looking at the industry as a whole to answer your question. There was a huge need to sell a complex product because insurance is not simple. We're looking for a way to simplify it, right? But when you add culture and language barrier to a fast growing population, you have a need. So I came back from that trip and I created the equivalent of an MGA product, the funeral shipping plan. I think we, we talked about that back mm -hmm. at the conference, right? So that's how I started. And within that, I realized that there was a bigger market than just, you know, funeral shipping. Um, and I also realized that what a lot of MGAs are trying to do today are inefficient. For instance, there's a startup out of Texas that is creating a personal auto product for undocumented immigrants in the U.S., as of today, 18 states are allowing undocumented immigrants to obtain a driver's license so they can buy insurance with anyone they wish. Mm -hmm. So it's not just creating the product in Spanish directly. It's using what exists, simplifying and delivering to them in their language. And the bigger players are missing out on this. The the distribution channel of the future that it will be successful will speak the client's language. And I don't mean Spanish, Portuguese, and English, what I said earlier. No, no, no. I mean, are we communicating with you via Viber, WhatsApp, Facebook mm -hmm. Messenger? Mm -hmm. um, what, what platform that I want to engage with you? Are you mm -hmm. there for me, right? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, if I have a language barrier, will you be able to service me in that way? Sure. We're the only one doing that today in mm. the US. I, I think that's, I just wanted to jump in on that because I think that's a really important point. If I, if I sit here and review the conversations I have with InsureTechs and thinking about the customer, we're always thinking about the customer in, in methods of right. communication well product but also methods of communication but we're quite often thinking about the customer that it I'm, try, I'm trying to sort of think we're trying to think about the sort of interaction so we're talking about how do we interact but we're not breaking it down as just to as simple as what is this customer's native language how do they want to read about the insurance policy because you're talking about a complex document already right so you're talking about a a complex product of a language that unless you work in insurance you don't naturally understand anyway because you know if you don't work in insurance half the terminology is a bit lost in you and then you're saying we, we want you to read it in not your kind of first language it, it's 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 I, I what struck me when we first spoke was how simple it was as kind of a as a leap towards the customer but we're always talking right. about being obsessed with the customer but there's a little bit of a kind of obsession with the customer that I think misses some of these simple steps. Um, and then you're, what you're talking about there is, is an evolution of that. You know, it's not just, you know, like, for example, I don't want to be on your app. 
Like the amount of companies right. that go, thank you. <laughs> you know, what, what, use our app. I don't want to, I, I have no interest in that. Use my no. app. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's, and that's my vision, right? Have an omni channel. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. I, I, I love stories, right? So think of, of a bakery owner, right? Your favorite coffee shop near your home. He owns the bakery. He needs workers' compensation. He needs a general liability policy, but he also owns a home and he also owns a car. So now the home might be near the water. So not a specific MGA will not be able to write that. It might have a flat roof. So it's a very specific idiosyncratic risk to a carrier. Mm -hmm. Now the auto, because of his great driving record and he doesn't drive that often, goes into another carrier. But now because he's a bakery that happens to do weddings, the general liability might not fit into the same specific NGA that also does work as compensation. So you get the complexity. So now he has multiple policies and now he needs to access those policies. And this fellow happens to come from Afghanistan, let's say, because you guys have a huge, you know, Pakistani Afghani community in the UK today. Um, so let's say, you know, how do I access these things? Do I need an app for my general liability, for my workers' compensation, for my home, for my auto? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to call my agent? And then when I call my agent, he doesn't have the technology infrastructure to help him to be efficient. Mm -hmm. I imagine a world where AI will recognize the request, bring the screen to my servicing center so I can focus on that experience. Say, hey, Alex, how's your soccer? you know, game was the last time we spoke. Did you go to, right? So instead of focusing on the question you asked, which is, let's say, when is my next payment due for my general liability policy? I, that's an easy task. Mm -hmm. Let's actually use technology to build relationships, not just to, you know, download my app, check your thing. There's no, there's no loyalty on that. And I'm a big fan of Zappos, right? I hate insurance. It's, it's insurance, like literally, I don't know if I can say this in your podcast, but it sucks. It's boring, but the service aspect of it, it's yeah. desperately screaming for human, not mm. technology. Mm. Say, you know, how can you service me better? And we've seen that in not only to highlight names of MGAs that came into market, gain market share at any cost and blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's, I think, I think we've run away from some of the kind of core principles of customer, and and, you know, it's not the only industry where that's true. I mean, I was, um, I was talking to anyone that would listen today that I, I made an error booking a flight yesterday, and <laughs> the the drama of trying to sort it out, and you go through the screening of, you know, you're on the phone and they're like going, can you type out your customer number, and you do that, and you you. you and then you still get through to someone who makes you repeat all the same stuff and you go, whose time has been saved here? But it's certainly not mine. And, and, and I suppose that brings me on to a question that I wanted to ask you. It's like, when you're playing the bro broker role, how do you think about product? Because a lot of the reason people move to sort of doing an MGA or, or even that when they're running an MGA, want to go to full-fledged carriers because they say they can't, they can't um, influence product. And I would disagree with that. Because I think if you're a 100%. broker, if you're a broker or you work in the insurance industry as a whole, to your point, it's a service provision. Yes, it's a financial guarantee, but it's a service provision. And it's like service is a product in itself. So I wanted to know about how you think about product in the context of insurance. 
that that is you know where does it start where does it finish right see what good is my knowledge and my education that i was fortunate enough to obtain in the us if i don't help lift my community so i believe that brz exists today to help elevate the latinx community in the us mm-hmm. so how do we focus on product versus service screw product let's focus on the service right because even though your margin might be smaller your annualized recurring revenue increases at a compounding rate mm-hmm. because your client is loyal to you and what's the lifetime value of that relationship right if when you sure. truly love something at the barbecue don't you tell everyone else mm. wow i had that experience wow like oh you should try this oh i just had an accident i had a horrible really oh these guys are amazing go there so your cost of acquisition just keeps going down as your lifetime value just keeps going up mm-hmm. now i I truly think that if you take the education component into insurance the way policy genius did, right? And you see how she scaled it from zero to where she went. Mm-hmm. And then you take that into Spanish, which is what we've done it in Portuguese, and you focus on that part that doesn't you don't see value right away. And we've done mm-hmm. that for 5 years and we're doing mm-hmm. it at a much scale now. um you're not focusing on what product i'm going to push i'm focusing on what solution i'm going to bring mm-hmm. how am i going to help this client get to the next level mm-hmm. instead of just i wanted to sell as many policies as possible and skill and gain 20% of market share in the us now mm-hmm. we do have a big hairy audacious goal by 2030 we will help protect 5 million latin american dreams and that's when you say it it's like how do you get there right and we have laid out the plan how are we going to get there and we get there through service because it and again in the US it's a, it's a, it's even more complicated right each state think of the US as coffee mm-hmm. and each state has its own flavor for mm-hmm. insurance mm-hmm. and however many sugars you like <laughs> so you go to florida is you know and lots of sugar you go to alabama it's like you know black only and you it, it, it's so complicated mm-hmm. so having a product across the state level i'm i'm going to use home as an example for home owners across each state regulation and then for every single specific home in that state that's a magic bullet that it won't exist however if you're the broker and you partner with the best carrier for each state given yeah. each property segment mm-hmm. now alex bond comes to me he owns a massachusetts business a florida business owns property in florida and massachusetts and now he's thinking about texas i'm a viable solution for all of his needs mm-hmm. Mm. rather than allowing alex to experience something new in texas that could also do massachusetts and florida and take him away from it yeah yeah i think it's easy to forget about and what does this thinking how does this thinking play out when you think about company culture and 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 your sort of hiring strategy that is the ethos of a company right 
um, it's the foundation. I believe that people is the essence for a successful tech servicing business. People, again, is the essence. So it starts from me to my business partners to our team. We truly believe that we're making a difference in every single client we touch on a daily basis. So when someone decides to go with an MGA online, I'll give you a great example. I'm going to cite names, right? By Burke, Berkshire mm -hmm. Halfway decided mm -hmm. to launch their own product. So they decided to go that route. Within six months, they return. When they go to Geico, eh, three months, they usually return. <laughs> and again, if you outsource your service, which a lot of brokers in the U.S. are doing that today, right? Because if you think of the brokerage industry in the U.S. since McKinsey wrote that paper, the death of the insurance agent 10 years ago. So a lot of agents in the U.S. are owned by a family. They've been around for four or five generations sometimes. Sure. They have no technology, no branding, and all they do is don't screw up. If they mm. don't screw up, they keep, you know, they keep growing. Mm -hmm. We came in five years ago and we're almost 10,000 clients right now. Um, and what we've done was different. We said, okay, let's have a brand. Let's have, let's build our own technology distribution system. Uh, I call it Frankenstein today. It's the MVP. It's working. We're getting to the next generation now that allow us to take a broker and help him to do three times more than what he used to while delivering a magic, magical experience to his, mm. to his client base. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, the, that's the secret, right? So again, the culture is we're not here just to make money. We're here to make a difference. And we use technology to empower us to help you to achieve your dream, whatever that is, through insurance. Because in the U.S., I, I often say um, the financial system in the U.S., it's a gallon of gasoline and the lighter. Both things mm. are extremely useful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Latinos don't know that. Mm. They can either use them or burn themselves with it. And that's where we come in. We make sure that you don't, you're not going to let yourself up. Yeah. Interesting. Talking about, um, well, there's a, couple, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you. Are... Are you bringing new people into the insurance buying cycle? Are people buying insurance from you when they haven't done before? Have you had any feedback about that, about representation has impacted kind of you getting new customers? I didn't understand. So bringing new people. So maybe people that have never bought insurance before and, and are oh, buying yeah. insurance oh, we do, for the first we time. Do, yeah, yeah. We do that every day, right? Because we work with a large chunk of the population that are um, undocumented immigrants. Right. Sure. weren't born citizens who are here, you know, um, illegally. Mm -hmm. And I hate the word illegal because no human is illegal. So, you know, they're, they're here without status. Yeah. Uh, but unlike the UK, the US is a very interesting situation. The UK, if you're undocumented, you can't register a vehicle. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, have a vehicle in your name. In the US, it's like, oh yeah, no, please. 
here's a car, here's a subprime auto lender. Where's your foreign driver's license? Yeah, go deliver pizza. Yeah. Um, I, don't ask me how. It's just, <laughs> and, and when the person gets arrested, you know, it's, oh, you're driving with a foreign driver's license. This police officer doesn't like you for whatever reason. They tow mm. the vehicle, takes him to a judge. The judge says, you shouldn't be driving. Here are your keys. Slap in your hand. Please don't drive again. Okay, but here are your keys. So the financial system works around, right? Yeah. Um, profiting from this mm. so you know uh, we we work with that persona or that community um, every day providing them solutions in their native language and as of today allegedly there are about 12 million undocumented um, citizens in the us it's a huge population yeah it's a decent market in itself just just that oh, yeah um so because you sort of it's a mission and it's a passion for you to kind of tackle um unrepresentation right and in insurance how do you tackle that when it's like a, when you look at hiring experienced talent because experienced talent i would imagine is unrepresented as well right because it's it is a male sale and pale is it it's so much easier uh so and that's why you know we're we're in the process and and when we spoke you know raising right now right so I was at an HBS, I'm in Massachusetts, by the way. So I was at an HBS event recently and I had a McKinsey Brazilian HBS, uh, soon to be grad. And she said, I don't want to get back to the boring consulting world or finance. I love your mission. I love what you're doing. I wanted to be part of this. Are you guys hiring? And that's from an HBS alum. I have a, I have a Harvard intern today. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the insurance space, the, the brokers that are in a pale, stale, male dominant uh, distribution channel, they want to come to us. Mm. Like, I want to be part of this. How is it possible that you guys have so much fun in insurance? So I, I actually, I'm having the other problem right now, which is saying, hey, you know, yeah, no, no, no. Please leave your resume right here. I'll get in touch with you, in, you know, by the end of the year. We're, sure. we're in the process of, um, in physics, right? Um, we're... We're breaking through, so it's yeah, yeah, yeah. escape velocity now. <laughs> yeah, what what stage are you at? Are you a fundraising journey? Is it is it is it? Have you got term sheets, or are you kind of fairly we, early on? Or no, we're, we we do have uh, term sheets. We're working. It's interesting now. So um, we actually had an acquisition offer recently, but we're too early on. Uh, what we're doing, it's so phenomenal that can be used in Mexico and Brazil. Mm -hmm. The distribution channel experiences the same problems. I mean, you spoke with 180 insurance mm -hmm. and, you know, recently, and he was saying, it was like, you know, we had a regulatory system that didn't allow for this role to evolve mm. and the world has changed. And, you know, insurance is becoming, um, a necessity in Brazil due to crime and, you know, uncertainties and whatnot. And then when you look at Mexico, not that much different. So where we are, it's how do we work, you know, and how do we think about capital, you know, from not just money for the sake of money, but money with a strategic partner that would allow us to execute our philosophy and our plan in the u.s and also take it to latin america mm. Mm. 
It's the it's the fundraise for it's for tech, isn't it? It's for you evolving yeah. your tech. It's uh yeah yeah. So, so the tech and the servicing centers, right? Because that's another thing. So Geico, Progressive, Mafra, and all these guys. If you try calling them, it's um, you know, and say you know Spanish, and you hit Spanish, and you hit another language, you're gonna wait, and then mm. you're gonna get someone there, um, and usually they're just not happy <laughs> for whatever reason, you know. It's like, I'm doing you a favor. Uh, and then at the broker level in the US, no one has their own dedicated centers, zero. Mm -hmm. They outsource virtual agents. And I mean, you recently, I, I think it was earlier saying, you know, you, you had to book a flight and you, you know, you reach the center, you hit one, two, three, you wait, and then you get to a mm -hmm. virtual agent somewhere that, you know, he's just following a script. He doesn't really know what he's doing, right? My business partner and I, Monica, were working to get our call center certified in insurance abroad. Yeah. Why we want them to not just love what they do, but to be well educated in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, then with AI, we'll listen to the conversation. It's not that the guy on the other side of Apple is extremely brilliant, right? <laughs> He's serious listening to the to your question, it's helping him to find the answers. Mm -hmm. Why can we have that in Spanish in the mm -hmm. US? Mm -hmm. mm. So that's what the money's for, you know, to nice. actually take the servicing to the next level, reduce operational cost, allow us to scale it in the US and distribute the software, maybe acquire in Mexico and Brazil and replicate it there. And in Brazil and Mexico it will be a much, much easier sure. because it's at the federal level, not at the mm. state level. Mm. Yeah, if you can, yeah, if you can do America first, I would imagine it's uh, relatively easy. Uh, not, <laughs> relatively, not America, yeah. not America, Massachusetts, the oh, hardest right. state in the country after yeah. California. <laughs> Is it? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that reaction. <laughs> like I'll take your word for it. Um, I wanted to talk to you, you. You've not just worked in insurance. You worked in the broader financial services industry, as, as you said. Um, are there parallels that you see in those industries um, in in other financial services? Is there underrepresentation there? Um, oh yeah. Where do you think insurance is on its journey to kind of being kind of representative of the populations? We still you know, answer that question. I have to tell a little bit about my story, right? Um, in my life experience, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll try to be brief because it can be long. But I, I was born in Brazil, um, in, in near Brasilia, the capital. September, October, my dad was killed. My mom was, you know, very young. She was seventeen. Come from a family of farmers, so we inherited land and property. My mom had no clue what she was doing, so you know, we struggled. Uh, not financially, but you know, uh, life wasn't easy. And due to the uncertainties of Brazil, my mom decided to immigrate to the U.S. She, you know, we had our visa, hop on the flight. She said, "I'm taking you to Disney," which wasn't true. Never met Disney until I was an adult, um, <laughs> and we landed in Massachusetts. So I got to Massachusetts, and I'm from the Midwest of Brazil with the rednecks. Mm -hmm. It's usually you're complaining about the heat today. My state, it's like that all year round. You can actually fry an egg on the asphalt. Wow. That's how insane it is. Um, so I got to Massachusetts and it was a huge shock. So I didn't do well in the educational system. We moved to East Boston back then. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Mystic River. Um, yeah. highly recommend. 
So that's where I was raised. You know, as mm -hmm. a Latino, I used to be called all kinds of names you can possibly imagine, three gangs. So I came from a working class in Brazil, you know, had my own space to now live in an immigrant life, sharing a room with five family members. And it was a huge shock. So I, uh, I stopped going to high school, um, dropped out, worked backbreaking jobs until my mom married. I got my my residency status and I said, all right, I got to get back to school. This is not life. And my mother used to clean the home of a hedge fund manager who became my mentor. He's a father figure to me. Mm -hmm. um, this guy called um, the financial crisis, shorted financials, did very well for himself. He said, dude, you're smart. Don't go to the military right now. It's bad timing. Go to school. I'll help you to go to school. So I got my GD, went to Harvard Extension School for a math class. Long story short, I got into, you know, um, to Tufts where I graduated in economics with a mind in entrepreneurship and leadership. And then that hit applying for jobs. So my first name is Weberton. It's not Tiago. Mm -hmm. So Weberton, as you know, Tiverton, the, the soccer team, Everton, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very British. So I put my first name, my last name, and my resume, great grades, send it out, um, remove Tiago and Silva out of there. I don't want it to look Latino, my name. I want it to look as British as it could possibly think, but my last name to being, you know, Italian Spaniard. Yeah. Um, and I would get a bunch of interviews, second round, passed. That was 2013. So I went to Chuck frustrated one day and I said, man, I only have a KPMG offer transfer pricing valuation and liberal mutual product development. I hate these two. I don't want to get into insurance and I don't want them to be in, you know, in valuation. I really wanted to be in a hedge fund space. So he goes, I'll help you. Um, made a phone call to Morgan Stanley in Brazil, got me an internship. I only had a cheap suit. So this guy goes and buy me a suit, a real tie. It was my first real suit ever. I still mm -hmm. have it. And I go to Brazil. Uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, I was the only person actually on the desk that spoke English fluently. My MD, my actually my executive director, came from Spain, London, New York, and landed there. Um, and this was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, today, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I came back to the U.S. I interned at GMO, um, realized that I wasn't... Uh, a right fit to be an investment analyst for a hedge fund. It's just not my personality. I'm an entrepreneur. So imagine mm -hmm. me sitting analyzing securities all day, dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I wanted to prove myself and said, no, I am an analyst. So I got into the MIT, the investment management company, the endowment, and I worked under a brilliant leader, Seth Alexander, who was trained by the Yale endowment guy. And at MIT, it's when the imposter syndrome really hit. I was the only, uh, you know, uh, Latino in there, mm -hmm. caller to be specific. Um, and I was in an environment that I actually had a, no a lot of knowledge to share. And this is the first time I ever say this in a podcast. MIT was making a massive allocation to Brazil at that point in time, which I disagree fundamentally with it because of my bottom-up knowledge. I understood the fundamental of the country. I knew that, you know, that allocation was the wrong timing. The currency was really low. Currency will flip. The, mar the equity markets weren't cheap. Given the currency change, I was actually selling my land in Brazil and bringing money back because it was at an extreme. Like, 
three standard deviations over you know the, the, the historical norm. And when I brought up the subject, you know, there this was like, what do you know, right? Not just because you're an analyst, but you know, and and that's when I decided was like, I, this wasn't for me. I lost my passion and I moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to work at Nat Davis Research, which I spoke with you about, owned by Euromoney. Yeah. And you're, it is amazing how, and I don't know if I can say this, but um, how, you know, an acquisition can buy an amazing company and destroy it over time. And that was a great <laughs> example of that. I was in the peak of the destruction. Um, they, they actually merged the company with, a, with its competitor that also had been acquired by Euromoney. So again, um, I was the only Latino on the floor and I was either first or second in sales covering New York. And I had Byron Wien, you know, um, Gabelli, uh, Bill Ackman, the Soros family office, Bridgewater. Those guys were my clients, like Stephen Cohen, you know, SEC Capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I outperformed, but in the office, it was a horrible experience, you know, like from bullying to you name it, you know, my accent, right? I, I wouldn't pronounce the word thrust properly enough. Um, and then, you know, eventually I said, all right, I wanted to, I got into insurance through the funeral plan. And then I got into the insurance brokerage space. And I used to think that asset management in that space was homogeneous mm-hmm. until I got into insurance. <laughs> That's when it hit. And I was like, holy cow. Yeah. It beats all of those by like a wide margin. So mm-hmm. I actually landed in insurance from my own insecurities in retrospect today, right? I was just, you know, I, was, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't, you know, whatever, right? I was a high school dropout. I just didn't belong there. I was the only, you know, um, brown person, you know, which I worked through all of those. But in insurance today, I realized, I was like, all right, you don't need to go to Tufts. You don't need to go to Harvard. You don't need to go to MIT to do this. And I can help get more single moms into this space so they can provide to their families, right? So mm-hmm. I can build a technology platform to train the next generation of Latinos for the insurance industry in the US. Because it that's, is actually a great career. Yeah, that, that's one thing that's always frustrated me quite a bit, actually, that, that you know, being that someone who works in the recruitment industry, and, and, and obviously now I focus on senior level hires, um, you know, C-suite, C-suite, you know, CX minus two, probably. Um, but I started my career, that wasn't the case. So I was, I was working with much more entry-level staff. And, and the amount of times we get a role in the insurance industry and they'd go, oh, we need this person to be a graduate. And I'd be like, why? <laughs> you know? And there was never a good answer. There really wasn't. And, and I still don't think to this day there's a good answer. And, you know, we are not quite at the stage of, like, the US cost of education. Um, having said that, we don't have the opportunity to get through through sport either because you, you yeah. that that's not open to you but it's still very expensive to go to university now in the uk i was and, very fortunate yeah so. no well I, mean, I was fortunate that i kind of missed the the horrifically expensive time it is now it was much cheaper when i went i was very fortunate my parents could afford it just about um but it, it's such a sort of precursor to any sort of kind of like diversity challenges equal opportunity challenges by saying someone must be a graduate but more importantly you flip it on its head and you go for what purpose you know because my experience of working in insurance was 
they hired me because I was a grad and then I got into this role and there was no development opportunities. I was, yeah. just, I was bored and I left the industry. And that's that's as simple as the story is. And, and that's that's the same experience. Whereas, you know, it's such a good industry. It's such a great. Uh, it's an amazing industry. industry. And, and it's and it's frustrating as hell when you see this kind of lack of kind of because to be honest, for me, it smacks of it's just a lazy metric. It's like we can't be bothered to put enough into our recruitment process. We're not going to kind of use things like psychometric evaluation. We're not going to use things like open days. We're not going to invest in the process. We're going to take a lazy marker and say, oh, if someone got a two one and above in, 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 our, in our language, a decent degree and above, we'll just we'll just take only those people. And, yeah. and I understand it because you're trying to set a bar, but it's but it's lazy and it's absolutely against any sort of principles of DEI. So when I see these kind of DEI stories come out from big insurance carriers that I know will not hire anyone that doesn't have a degree, yep. the two things don't match. It's just not true. So, you know, uh, me getting passionate on my horse now because, because, because I, no, I, I agree, but I, I agree with you, you know, I mean, the, the, but there are the fundamentals that we need, right? So I, I'll give you a great example. I, uh, I believe in people. Uh, I believe in the stories or turnaround stories. And I believe, you know, in, in passion. So what do I look for when I'm hiring? Um, and, and even to this day, right, I have my um, HR director who's, you know, very experienced, 10 years, consulting experience, you name it, you know, coach, mass, whatever. Um, I still got involved. I look for that essence in people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know, what have you been through in life, right? And how have you overcome those challenges? And, and I think for insurance, literally, this is what you're looking for with, you know, the basic skills. Can you use technology? Can you write coherently, right? Can you, the, that's basically it. I mean, you know, you don't need to, you know, some basic math as well helps, sure. you know, but you really don't need to know chemistry, physics, or, you know, be, you know, involved in other areas to be successful. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely having a certain level of education helps, but grit, grit, it's what I usually look for. How passionate are you and how willing are you to persevere when things go the other way? I, I always, this this something always stuck with me. So we we just did a product special where we had three product leaders from InsureTechs, and they were they were talking. I was asked them a question about what they look for in an interview process, and it's funny because it resonated with me. And they just said, "I want to know. I want someone to turn up with loads of questions." And it kind of the content of the questions was important, but the fact that they'd done it and they and and the volume as well was significant. So we were talking about that, and I always reminded one of the best people that ever worked for me is a guy called Jamie. And Jamie didn't have a background in recruitment at all. I, I was meeting him as a favor to someone that, that my best performing um, recruitment team member worked. Uh, he, he knew him. Uh, they, they, they played soccer together, right? It's as simple as that. And he just said, like, mm -hmm. I think he's got the talent. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure. So I met him. I was kind of going through the motions. I kind of thought, this guy's got no experience. It's not relevant. And I was doing everything I said I shouldn't do. And we're just getting up to leave. And he turns over this uh this book in front of him because oh, i just had a few questions and i look down and he's got two pages of questions about uh i mean at the time we used to focus on data i ran a team focused on data science so he was like what mm -hmm. is data science what's the difference between data science and analytics um how many of your clients are kind of uk europe or you you're like all these great just pertinent questions and like it didn't you didn't have to say anything else they just hired him on the spot. It was like he's gone to the effort to do it. 
he cares yeah. enough to be inquisitive and, and being inquisitive and putting the effort in is is basically the skills I need to do my job. So um, half, half of the half of the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's half of most jobs, right? And I think insurance is 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 guilty sometimes of kind of overcomplicating fairly simple bits. Now, don't get me wrong, we need very smart people in this in this industry. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. On the actuary I, side, exactly. On, on, on the data side, on the want, you know. I'll, I want my actuaries to be pretty smart, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but in everything else, it's, it's, you know, common sense and hard work will get you there. And, and because the yeah. training is so specific, you know, there's not enough being done to push people through the kind of specific training we need and also delivering that training in a fit for purpose way, um, which is actually something another InsureTech actually raised with me recently. So yeah, there's so much there. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, and this kind of brings it kind of full circle, really. It's like, yeah, BRZ, is it a result of kind of this increasing buying power? So the Latinx community in the US has got a phenomenal buying power now. I think you said 2.8 trillion. Or are we just living in a society now where we just demand more? So we want products that are representative of ourselves. We want services representative. Or is it just a, just buying power that's kind of led to the success of the BRZ business? I, I actually... You know, I smile as you're asking that question because it's it's the sum of the parts, mm -hmm. right? Um, yes, we are 18% of the U.S. population and grown. And yes, 65% of us were born here. So, you know, we're not all undocumented because we did touch on that earlier. Mm -hmm. Yes, 74% of us prefers to be bilingual, unlike what happened in Ellis Island, right? Um, I, I compared the Latino population in the U.S. to the Europeans that arrived in the early 1900s. If you take it as a percentage of the U.S. population, it's the equivalent, even though the U.S. population was much smaller. So mm. we're the Greeks, we're the Portuguese, we're the German, the Italians, the Polish that arrived back then, right? That suffered, you know, the same discrimination that the, the Irish, you know, females experience in the mills, the Italians um, so, yes, this is us today. And think about it. In 20 years, we went from half a trillion dollars in buying power to $2.7 trillion. And mm -hmm. our average age is about 29 years old. We're not even at our prime buying power yet. So mm -hmm. stop and think what it would look like in a decade from now. Sure. Now, why is it different? The Europeans that came in the early 1900s thought that having an accent was bad because they faced extreme discrimination. They struggled. So they want their kids to speak proper English and not speak their native language. And we didn't have the technology to remain connected to home. Mm. Their kids grew up, the boomers in the US, they lost connection with their heritage, with their roots, and then they had kids. And their kids start asking, hmm, am I Italian-American? Well, it's the World Cup now. The U.S. never wins anything, but Italy does. So we're connected <laughs> to Italy. So we start having little Italy's and we start, you know, and then, you know, Italians became prominent business owners. So did the Greeks and the Irish, right? Mm. And the other minorities in the U.S. And now their grandkids are learning Italian learning their great-grandparents language they're traveling to europe to you know to see where you know where where do we come from 
Mm. And that connectivity is due to social media, technology. You want to be part of something bigger. So I, I had a horrible experience with a carrier that I don't need to cite the name publicly. But when I proposed the business plan five years ago, she said to me, I don't like your business model because it focuses on Hispanics and your people don't assimilate fast enough. You don't learn English. Wow. And I said, where, where did your grandma come from? Because of the last name, she said Italy. And I said, great. And let me ask you a question. Did she speak in Italian to you? She was like, yes. And I was like, what is your fondest memory of your grandmother? She was like, the food. Right. And you don't speak Italian, right? She was like, no. You have grandkids? She was like, I do. And I was like, do they love Italian food? She was like, obsessed. And I'm like, great. Have they traveled to Italy? She was like, yes. I was like, great. And how many of them actually speak Italian? She was like, oh, I got a few studying. I was like, that's my point. It's back to the start. The mm. difference between the Latinos in the US today, it's that they don't have to let it go. We embrace it. We don't assimilate. We integrate. Mm -hmm. We bring what's best from our history into what's best in the US. So then it creates the demand to buy from people who look like me. I am my client. I lived my client's life. I know how they think. I know their pain. I know their struggles. And recently I had a call with a VC and he said, oh, can I share your deck? I was like, sure. We're not the best, we're not the smartest, we're not the well-funded, but we're the most passionate and will outwork anyone else. The deck is just, you know, the story. At the end of the day, you can't get us. Remember Amazon tried to buy Zappos for five years and failed miserably, eventually said, you know what, Zappos, you can remain alone, but, you know, join us. And Amazon mm. customer service today is actually what Zappos used to be, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's, and that's the essence, right? It's, it's understanding your community, right? Everyone is coming from the top down. We went from the bottom up. And the community today in the US, after, and, and I'm very thankful for, for former President Trump. He did that. He siled the population in the US. He created this. He actually expedited the process, right? We're not this united. Now we are united. We prefer to buy from people who look like us, who think like us. And you can see this in the biggest brands they're focusing on in the insurance industry so behind. And mm. when I speak to CEOs today um, of the mutuals, of the large carriers, I tell them, I was like, this is just like your 401k. If you don't start today, you will regret it 10 years from now. Yeah, sure. I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, it's like a, a veiled threat to the <laughs> CEOs of the insurance industry, but it's I, it's so right. And, and look, I you know I, I could talk to you all day about this, and I think it's fascinating because it was a you know there's a reason why I've mentioned BR. I've mentioned BRZ on every podcast I, I've been on, I think, because it's such a good example of saying sometimes we overcomplicate what we're trying to achieve with the, the innovation within insurance and sometimes it's going back to the kind of basics and saying right there are a bunch of people over here who don't feel invited to the party because we don't see their faces on billboards we don't see their language used in kind of advertising that the, the, their native language isn't used in documentation that we use which is already hard enough to understand and just by doing those simple things 
you're going to sell more insurance and and you're going to sell anything you're going to sell anything and and that's the thing and I, and I think I think we love to overcomplicate what we do and when we can get trapped in parametrics and claims technology and analytics and actually sometimes we've got to go um wouldn't it be wouldn't we sell more insurance if we serve these people better? And I think that's the, the that's such a good message that you're bringing. Um, Tiago, I'm going to end it there because we don't want to overstay our welcome. Thank you Thank so you. much for doing this. I've wanted to do this since we met in ITI, and I hope we get a chance to meet again soon. Um, where can uh, where should people kind of look you up personally, or or, for, or if they want to kind of check out the business? I'm very uh, very vocal on LinkedIn, on Instagram. Um, it's my first name, last name, B R Z. I all three together. Um, next next year, I'm going to be speaking at Agency Nation with uh, with the Shark. Um, so I'm going to be on stage, basically highlighting you know the things that we're saying today. Um, so uh, Diamond, um, you know, I got the the honor to share the stage with him. And yeah, if you have any questions, I would love to to share them with you. Um, especially if you are an insurance executive, my message to you is you know start looking around. Pay attention to what you know, what the bigger brands outside of the industry are doing, especially the banking system. Mm -hmm. um, I think the insurance is very behind when it comes to the DI relative to financial services mm -hmm. in general. So yeah, mm -hmm. so yeah, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm prolific. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do all that and um, Sophie will have uh, <laughs> multiple languages and Sophie will make sure that we get the links included. But thank you, my friend. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. All right. See you soon. Thank <laughs> you. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insurtech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.